Welcome to room 404. In the most ominous tones possible, I'm your host, Ewan Spence. Standing in this treasure trove of tat, an almost digital room of requirement, I can reach out and touch any gadget, every piece of technology, all the websites ever written, the board games ever made, and the occasional choose-your-own-adventure book as well. Everything the world forgot about is in here. When people try and find these things, they can't. They get an error, a 404 error. But sometimes things can come back. As webmaster of room 404, I can give my guests the opportunity to bring something back that only they remember into the world. But only if they can convince me that the world needs it brought back out again. So, as everybody lines up with their favourite toys and old computers, it's time to welcome my first guest with five items that he'd like to bring back to the world. It's a good old welcome to Chris Dunphy. Hello, Chris. Hey, you. It's good to talk to you. It is, yes. It has been a while. I think it's been almost a year since we've actually met. Uh, but uh, keeping an eye on things electronically with you, it's been a bit of an adventure, hasn't it? It, well, life life has been a nonstop adventure for years now. Uh, I've spent the last four years uh, bouncing around North America in an RV, and uh, now uh, um, uh, working from the beaches of uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, and you, you got rid of the house. You, you had a lovely apartment in San Francisco, as I seem to recall. Got rid of that and just went on the road. Yep, yep. That was actually, I'm coming up on my fifth anniversary of giving up the place in San Francisco and moving into a small trailer. And the thing that gets me, here's the big question. You've probably got a post box on that RV, but how does the U.S. mail know where you are? <laughs> um, we have a, a mail forwarding service in uh, South Dakota um, that uh, packages up our stuff and sends it to us whenever we, we say, hey, hey, we're actually but, – but like what do you ever get via physical mail other than catalogs and bills and junk that you've already gotten online? So it's, it's very rarely useful, but every so often we have them send us stuff. Why South Dakota? Uh, South Dakota, if you if you quote live in South Dakota, uh, there is no state income tax um, and uh, very very low other fees. They make it very easy for people who don't officially have a, any other residence. So basically, it's a tax dodge then. In in, in some ways, in some ways. There we go. Uh, now, yes, and now you've got the site for that. It's Technomadia. Technomedia. Technomadia, yes, uh, T-E-C-H-N-O-M-A-D-I-A dot com. There we go. But you've not always been living out of a caravan. I seem to remember you have quite a geeky past as well. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, where you knew me from was when I, I convinced you to uh, uh, um, step aside or, or, or work in addition to doing All About Symbian to, to launch an All About Palm um, uh, website uh, yeah, just in- just before Palm split up and went tits up the first time, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, before the before the, yeah, just after I convinced you to do this and you start doing all the work on the site, I find out under super deep deep confidence that I can't tell anyone that Palm is changing its name to Palm One and Palm Source, and yeah. here you are uh, chatting me up every day, excited about the new all about Palm site. It was a uh, oh, it was very hard for me not to try and tell you anything. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, great one. Um, but of course, you be, you're working at Palm there, working developer support. And develop, I mean, it's like, how, how far ahead of the curve were you? I, I, well, at, at Palm, I was actually the, the, the chief spy. I was the, the director of competitive analysis. My job was to go to every uh, country in the world, every trade show, any place there was interesting tech and uh, try to get my hands on it first and uh, figure out what was good about it and what was uh, not so good about it and... Um, you know, 
get to tell people I was a spy. It was a it was a it was a fun job. Speaking of spies, I was looking at the um, you know Looney Labs, the guys who make the card games Flux and everything. Oh, love Flux! Yes, they've just started up a social network. Um, they're using Ning, and they ask for why you know what why are you here? And they actually have fan, uh, press, media rep, or industrial spy as as one of the options in their social network. But, but do they have retired industrial spy? They don't have retired industrial spy. No, you'd probably oh, have I'll to go down as a that. fan. Yeah, so, okay, well, I'm definitely a fan of Flux. Yeah, there we go. Flux, of course, is still available. It's easy to find, so that's not in room 404. Uh, you've got five <laughs> items, though, that are in room 404, and you'd like to get some of them out, wouldn't you? I, I do. I've got, I've got dug up five uh, uh, pieces of internet and uh, tech history that I think are quite fun. Okay. And, and in a geeky way, you said to me, oh, no, I've arranged them in chronological order. Yes, of course, yeah, starting in the, the depths of history. Or at least of my tech history. Okay, so what do we have up first, then, Chris? Uh, so, so first, and this this one is not little known, but is uh, much beloved. Is uh, just have to bring back from the dead the Amiga personal computer. And in particular, my I, my 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 first computing love was my Amiga one thousand, which I still have sitting in its original box, uh, babyly put away in storage. Oh, you, now, the thing that gets me about this is you have the Amiga, but at the same time, yes. I seem to remember a great big battle with the Atari ST. Oh, well, yeah, the Atari ST was the the, you know, the, the cheap knockoff clone of the Amiga in every possible way. So what, why the Amiga? I mean, it was, it was this one, the first big home 16-bit computer, as I recall. Uh, it was it was just so far ahead of its time in so many ways. It... it um, you know, back when the the Macintosh was just launching with a uh, uh, you know monochrome screen and mono sound, and PCs were still lucky to have four colors, the Amiga showed up with uh, four thousand and ninety six colors. You can have you know, what would essentially be the first time a computer is drawing something that looks photorealistic. You have uh, four channel stereo sound. The very first time a computer is outputting, you know, real is able to act as a real musical instrument. Um, it's Graphics chips were able to take an external sync, which let it do, you know, a thousand dollar Amiga was able to to better a uh, ten thousand dollar video studio, um, doing uh, graphic overlays and uh, manipulating live video. And this is all vintage, uh, you know, mid eighties technology. So, you know, absolutely amazing stuff. So, so how how did it rack up now? What was its communications? Could it get online? Did it have modem built in? You know, how how would someone relate to it nowadays? Oh, it, it, well, I had an external modem uh, hooked up via one of those uh, uh, serial ports and big cables, and I think my modem originally was a 1200 baud on my Amiga, and eventually I think I had a 9600. Um, you know, blazing fast. You can, you can, it, the text came down slightly uh, um, faster than you could read it, which was great. You know, as long as it was just text. Um, but there, there actually was. Uh, I had a web browser on um, the Amiga, and then the Amiga you know, went through several iterations of upgrades and stuff. Kept getting better and faster. Um, you know, the biggest thing it had going against it was a uh, Commodore as management. Um, oh, you have a great piece of computer hardware management just destroys it. How many times have we heard that story, Chris? I, how many times have we not heard that story? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've ever not heard that story. Uh, so that, now, you see, the thing, the thing that gets me a bit is I'm, I'm tempted, you know, it's still out there. It still lives through emulation. Uh, and the problem that the Amigas have is that, it, you know, talking to other things. I mean, 
getting online with the internet now, I suspect, would be really problematic with the, with the Amiga. Uh, you'd have to find a television at home that could take an old RF signal. You couldn't stick it onto an HDMI port on your, on your great big plasma screens and everything. But the more recent Amigas had, had VGAs, though. So you, you actually, even the older ones, you get a VGA card. So you can... You can Talk to a, a monitor. That's a good defense. That that that's a good strong comeback. Can you can you come back on the internet one as well? Uh, well, the internet, the, um, their Ethernet cards and 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 whatnot, um, and yeah, it's that. And Ethernet cards and dial-up modems are are available. You, you can get an Amiga online, not too hard. So, so there we. So you, you know, you can get that. You can see stuff. You can go online. I'm I'm very tempted, and I, you know why I'm tempted because I could play Turrican again. Because I've never found a good version other than the one that played on the Amiga. What game is that? Turrican. Oh, yeah. Side-scrolling, up and down with Uh guns. Yeah. You know, just for reminding me of Turrican, that's it. I think the Amiga can get a redirect and come out of room 404. The Amiga definitely deserves to live on. There's actually a zombie company that has been trying to make the Amiga live on. It's very, very distressing if you go and see who still has the rights to it. And there are hackers out there coming up with new versions of 20-year-old computers, which are still using the 20-year-old chips and running at that speed, which is almost kind of pointless. But but it, it soldiers on in that fashion, too, which is interesting. So so there we go. The Amiga comes out. One down, four more to go. What do we have going in out of the room second, Chris? Or hopefully uh, so, coming out so of the room second. Next is... Um, uh, uh, website well before long before their websites it was uh, the internet archive known as woo archive um it initially came online in 1988 and uh, i just found the tribute page it was shut down only in 2010 but i think it lost all relevance uh, much longer before that but woo archive is uh you know the back in the early days of the internet represented about 10 percent of the internet's entire traffic and i'm particularly fond of it because it was Woo Archive was the Washington University uh, FTP archive server, and I had it as a mo- mounted on my computer at work. I worked at Washington University, and uh, it was mounted as a local drive. So I essentially had the entire collected wisdom of the mid '90s internet as you know faster than local hard drive access to me. So essentially, you had ten percent of the internet. As a local hard drive. As a yeah, local so. hard drive. I mean, that's just stunning. <laughs> you know, and, and of course, at the time, that was the, the, the looking here at the archive page. In 1997, Warcraft had a 65 gigabyte archive. of That's you know, probably spread across 10 different drives. But um, yeah, so 65 gigabytes was 10% of the internet. So, so, so basically 650 gig, which is about what's sitting on my desktop in terms of a hard drive space, was the entire size of the internet. Yeah, right, give or take. You know, that was this was in '97. So after it had started, to, it was probably no longer the 10. percent But you know, back around '91 when I first played with Warcraft, it was about 10 percent of the entire internet. So basically, you're being quite selfish. You're saying I only want 10 percent of the internet. Why? You know, not 100 percent of the internet. I just want the 10 percent that I remember. Everything else, I don't care about. That you know, you know, archives are meant to be nice and open and, and sharing. So basically, you're being quite selfish here. I think, Chris. Oh no no! It was open to everyone, and what the one of the I mean, no, I mean fun- to bring back just ten percent. Yes. Uh, well, there's no other single place that had so much data compiled in one free location. Um, the the fun archive story I had was when I was working in the machine room behind glass at school, and somebody is knocking on the glass very urgently, and I go and answer the door, and there a, a 
prospective grad student visiting from Holland, I think, and they wanted nothing more while they were in the U.S. than to find Who Archive and get their picture taken next to it. And they had tracked down this room and it was knocking on the glass where I was and really, really, really wanted to get their picture. And so I brought them inside next to the tiny little box with a little blinky light on it and a few hard drives stacked on top. And it made their day. It was the entire reason for their being for that day. It was really... Was it a black box about the size of a shoebox with a little red light on the top that blinked? I think it was actually a gray box about the size of a pizza box. I think it was a Spark Station pizza box style case with oh. a bunch of hard drives piled on top. Well, I, I think we would have to check with the gods of the internet on that one. Uh, but if Stephen Hawking was to say yes, you would get that one out. Unfortunately, I can't ask him just now. So we're going to leave that one in the, in there just now because we, we, we really do not want to go back to the years of 1997. Uh, so uh, that archives are staying in the big archive, unfortunately. So, no, no, fortunately not on that one. So, uh, one for two. What do we have as a okay. third item? Oh, next is uh, the Ricochet um, wireless modem and wireless internet service. This is, um, you know, in the, in the days long before 3G, 2G, um, or even uh, any sort of 1G uh, ability to get any sort of data through a cell phone, and cell phones didn't even have color screens. So it'd be back in uh, 1994... Um, then throughout the San Francisco area and a bunch, I think about a dozen cities throughout the U.S., these ricochet modems appeared on streetlights all over cities. And these little things, they just go around in a little um, dolly truck and mount them hanging from streetlights, a little white box, and um, they would talk to each other and form a mesh network. And if you had a ricochet modem, which the first one I had was, uh, well, about as big as you know, maybe 10 iPhones stacked on top of each other into a long cubish shape. Um, you can stick it on the back of your laptop screen, raise up the antenna, and get online at about 56 kbits anywhere in the city. It was amazing. And it's, it's an idea that, that tried a couple of times. You know, Hutchinson, Hutchinson Telecom in the UK tried to get this going as well. I think they called it the Rabbit Network, uh, which is you essentially bought a cordless mobile phone for at home. Uh, but anybody with a Rabbit phone who was close enough to your phone base station could get on air as well. Um, mm-hmm. That was only for voice, mind you, but it was like the precursor to the mobile network. So obviously, um, that, that's typical of mobile. So Europeans, oh, we'll, we'll deal with voice first. Americans, no, 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 we'll, we'll sort out data first. And we still see oh, there, 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 were, there were the voice networks at the same time. This was just the very first um, ability to get online, get data while taking your laptop out. And you, know, you can get online in a coffee shop. Or I actually once put together a, a VAN, a van area network, where I set up the ricochet modem hooked it into a router and hooked it into an inverter and so it could run off the 12 volt and then ran. There was actually wasn't even Wi-Fi at the time. So the, all the laptops were hooked up via Ethernet and we drove around with five, several of us in the laptop online driving around in this van playing in a scavenger hunt. Um, to do what, you know, just to, I'm sorry, we're talking to geeks here. It's like, why would you do that? Is it just because you can really is the answer, I guess. Oh, of course, just because you can. And also, I, I think I think this might have been pre-Google or at the early days of Google, but you could Alta Vista. It made solving the treasure hunt a lot simpler when you had the ability to go online and 
and Alta Vista things and maybe Google things. And, you know, everybody else is like, you know, calling up friends on the telephone and saying, hey, could you look this up for me? So, you know, it was, it was kind of, you know, a, a way to get an advantage in the treasure hunt too. So, so basically, you're using that for good old-fashioned nefarious purposes. Yes, and unfortunately, this treasure hunt that started in San Francisco where we had the Van Area Network and we were able to get online, but we immediately sent us driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. So all the effort we spent building the network so we can work online in the van you know, quickly dropped to no signal. And the entire rest of the hunt until we got to the finish line was basically no signal. But, you know, it was still really, really fun while it lasted. Just for this, the, the sheer ineptness that, that raises that story to the level of a Bond villain. That's getting through. <laughs> <laughs> the Bond villain-enabled wireless area cheating quiz network around san francisco from ricochet yes i like that one uh right that's two to go uh as always you can leave your comments uh back on the website uh which is going to be room 404 room and the numbers 404 dot the podcast corner dot com uh your comments are welcome and uh, if you'd like to argue with any things that got out or didn't get out uh then we'd be more than welcome to hear from you back at the site right then item number four what do we have Oh, this is the Tapwave Zodiac, which I think you remember that as well. Which is essentially the PSP Zero. It, yeah, yeah. The, this was this was the the thing that has the Sony's um, tread marks on top of it as roadkill, and uh, yeah, the the the, so the Tapwave Zodiac. And I knew this because this was a, a a Palm based device, but it was actually in a lot of ways the most advanced of the classic Palm devices in the pre Treo era. Yeah, I mean, it had, um, it had the biggest screen, as I recall. It had the most colors on the screen, and it had the best control inputs as well for gaming. It, 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 it had an analog joy, analog thumbstick for gaming. When you know, I think Sony is just now adding this to the next PlayStation next generation, which the, doesn't. The, even... the first PlayStation had one. The new, the next gen PS PlayStation that's coming out for the portable one has two. So it's fine okay. to DualShock, but yeah, okay, I, mean, it so first, I think it was the first to have an analog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It had the first thing with an analog stick. It had graphics acceleration. It had stereo speakers. Um, it was an amazing gaming device. Um, and it was also a full Palm PDA, so, so it could run you know, all the Palm OS applications as well as the special Zodiac games that would come on little cartridges. And um, uh, it, was, it was quite a device, a 320 by 480 resolution screen. So it was you know, a very high resolution screen. It was you know, equivalent to a, the, the iPhones that came years and years later. Um, but you know, this see with the it went on sale in two thousand and three, so it was way way ahead of its time. As far yeah, that, as that puts know. about like a year ahead of the PSP in Japan, so about two years ahead of the PSP in the rest of uh, America, yeah, and Europe, mm-hmm. and about the same sort of timescale for the Nintendo DS as well. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah, the Nintendo DS. So I remember actually having just gotten my you know the, one of the very first uh, Tapwave Zodiacs, um, and then I was Palm Spy going to E three where the PSP and the Nintendo DS were both announced at E3 that year. So I'm like walking around with this amazing device and both Sony and Nintendo are like, yeah, but just wait, we're going to crush it. And all the game developers were like, hmm, yeah, we're going to develop for this little unknown small company that's doing a Palmos device or we're going to do what Sony and Nintendo tell us. Yeah, and Sony uh, Nintendo, and you drive up yeah, with, they, here's all the dev kits, here's all the, here's all the machines, here's everything yeah. you will ever possibly need, here's the contract. Yeah, it would be like, you know, the, the tap of presentation of like, here's the potential for the mobile gaming market and here's all the demand and here's all the great, you know, mobile gaming is going to be a wonderful thing and people be like, love your presentation, you're right, we're going to go work with Sony. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it wasn't Sony that, 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 that took the biscuit either, was it? 
I think what really so the the Zodiac my my take on why the the company kind of died is they 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 tried to focus on um, getting game ports rather than getting their own unique stuff. And they didn't focus on it had Bluetooth and it could do multiplayer social gaming. They did. They only released like a tiny handful of Bluetooth games, whereas it would have been, you know, it could have been demonstrated way ahead of its time by you know enabling social gaming. You know, sit down and start playing multiplayer games with a friend. Two Zodiacs. Suddenly you're playing three Zodiacs. You're playing. Um, they didn't do any of that. They focused on getting old game ports. And you know who wants to play you know the the same old games on on a handheld when you know they could have gone for you know yeah it, it didn't work it, it didn't and, and make there, it there was such a difference you know handhelds and these were handheld games you know Sony PSP you know never really got going for another two or three years in the really good game titles everything else kind of stayed flat I mean you look at the games list that came out in the Zodiac. Uh, you know, Doom 2, again, you know, I mean, nowadays you've got Kodak cameras running Doom 2, Spy Hunt, you know, a version of Madden NFL. I mean, really? What a surprise, a gaming machine with NFL on it. Uh, um, you know, Stunt Car Extreme, um, all nice games, but nothing that kind of did an A-list title. And the other thing is, of course, we kind of alluded it to at the top as well, Zodiac got caught in that that sort of schism that Palm had. Uh, between 2003 mm-hmm. and 2005, where yes. it just kind of went, Bleh. Uh, and it was kind of, kind of like I, I remember going to one of the Palm developer conferences, and they were selling off Tatwave Zodiacs and the Palm Life drives um, with the <laughs> amazing one gig of storage uh, <laughs> or a spinning hard drive. I mean, uh, and you know that's just before you know Palm Source Palm One and all that stuff happened, and it all fell through. And kind of Tatwave kind of got left there, a couple hundred thousand units sold. Uh, with, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately, you know, the past is littered with stuff which has great potential. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, you, you've shown me a couple of projects you worked on that were along yeah, those we, lines. We, we, we don't <laughs> talk about those. Because <laughs> I think I still have my signature saying that we have my soul if I even mention uh, a tiny, tiny, tiny word of any of those, including the hair, uh, the Odin. Uh, right then. Uh, so, yeah. you know, the Zodiac was nice, but I... I, I, I I, I struggle with this one because it, it kind of hybrids even then too much. You know, even then it was there was a little bit of compromise in the gaming bit to make it the PDA, and there's a little bit of the compromise in the PDA bit to to make it the gaming device. But at the same time, it felt wonderful the controls, but the software didn't quite match up. You know, if you go back to old games, if we reach out, for example, I grab an old Neo Geo Pocket. Uh, you know, those games are still pretty playable. The, the, the Zodiac. Not really, so it's it's kind of on the borderline on this one. Um, but again, you know, this is a nice plucky one. This is the sort of stuff that that people should be remembering because it's nice to remember all these little tiny road signs along the way, the evolution of where we got today. Because if you plunk this down now with a Sony logo on it, I think people would go, "Oh, that's quite nice. What's that?" Yeah, the, the hardware is such a beautiful feel to it. That analog stick, and it was just so small in your hands with the great high-res screen. It was a gorgeous piece it, of work. It, it still has that luster and shine and that inherent geek chic. So I think people should be remembering this. So the tap wave gets to come out of room 404. Excellent. Look at that. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> He's quite happy now. Right. Uh, one left in the show. We have one more choice to try and bring back out of obscurity and into the light. What are we going for? This would be the Fossil Wrist PDA. Now, this is just one of those weird palm projects that shouldn't have worked. <laughs> 
Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was it was done by Fossil, so the the world's I think they actually are the world's largest watchmaker. Um, worked with Palm and did the, they they did a, a shrunken um, Palm Pilot on your wrist, and you know the even the the stylus fit right into the band, so you could just grab the band, flip out a little stylus, and it had a one sixty by one sixty monochrome screen, and a you know crazy long battery life and. And an app that ran as the clock, so you know, it was just on running as a clock. And but then you could, you know, you know, have your calendar and your date book and your to do list and run all sorts of Palm apps. I used to have the the um, um, train schedule on it, and I'd really blow people away on the train when I just look at my wrist and say, "Oh, yeah, you, know, you need to catch a train." Well, here, let me bring this down. Here's the train. Here's this. This. And I just show them the schedule app right on the running on my wrist, and their jaws would drop. Uh, but it was quite a big device. I mean, it weighs as much as a, as a modern feature phone, just over 100 grams. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, it crammed in everything from a palm. And at the same time, it weighed exactly the same as a palm. It was like, it was like the same problem oh, that you have with this. So that much. Oh, I think so. I mean, it's, it's big. It's, it's the sort of thing you'd see Roger Moore wear in a James Bond film when he knew he needed <laughs> to, to punch out an opponent with his watch. It's like, well, a fossil watch is about the right size for a knuckle duster. Oh, well, they they never did a ladies version of the watch, but you know on not, on my wrist it looked it fit it wasn't too bulky. Yeah, no, the, the, it's great. Um, it had the same problem that Palm had a lot of time, which was don't let the don't let the battery run out because then you know I think you had about a week a week week of storage. Even you know you could use it for a day or two, and then after a week it kind of went oh I'm completely flat, and you'd have to sync it back up again, wouldn't you? Um, I think it would, it had it had a good week or two. It was the monochrome palms because they didn't have to run a backlight, but their batteries would last actually weeks and weeks on end. Um, so the battery, when I had mine, was really not much of an issue. I would hardly ever charge it. And of course, the the wristwatch computer, you know, Dick Tracy. You can't you can't talk about the subject while not mentioning ah. Dick Tracy. Well, yeah, Dick Tracy. If it had a video phone in it, that would just have been amazing. And and yet again, yet again, we see a company uh, about four or five years ahead of their time, because everywhere I, I look now with the Apple fans, they've got their little new nanos on their wrist in about yes. the same mm-hmm. size of thing, and they're flicking through, and they can bring down a train timetable. They can listen to that, their that, music. No, you can't. There's no apps. This is still the only wrist thing that I know of that actually you can run programs and apps on. That's a good well, Now, having not played around with the Nano too much, does it not even have the web browser? No, oh no, the Nano is just fixed function. Ah, it is uh, so, it has so, the Nike app that's built in, and that's it. And and you know Apple's apps, but it doesn't have you know uh, any uh, no web, no no, no connectivity, and no no train schedules, no nothing. You know what that means, don't you? That means that, that in about six months' time, Tim Cook is going to come out and go look. We're the first company to do user applications on your wrist and everybody <laughs> in Apple's got, and all the Apple fans are going to go yeah yeah and you're going to be in your caravan or in the Seychelles or wherever you end up you know a small canoe of Eskimo going oh no I had that 10 years ago well, I still got it I can still do it and you know that feeling Chris ah I know that, that feeling all that, the time that feeling <laughs> is the feeling that every European has when cut and paste get added to an iPhone <laughs> You know, so you know what? It doesn't matter if I bring this out or not, because 
it will just be forgotten the second the nano gets an application. But for this <laughs> tiny, tiny window, and just so one American can go, you know, can feel what it's like to go, we, we've done that already. We don't need it announced. It's not a boom moment. It's coming out just so you can feel the pain of rejection from apps. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I, when the nano comes out with apps, I will be the first to, to sign up for getting that the, Getting that as a watch, that just sounds fabulous. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think my fossil holds a charge anymore. You know, it held a charge fine in uh, 2003, but I don't think the battery lasts more than five minutes now. It's so, sitting in a box somewhere. So the question is, will the Nano's battery last after seven years as well? Probably not. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, it would probably cost you as much to replace the battery in the Nano as it would to buy you a new fossil watch, I guess. I, I don't think you can even get a fossil i haven't even seen one of these come up on ebay because they only sold very few of them they're they're hard to find yeah so there we go hard, hard geek so legends there we go well it's a good score i have to say chris four out of five um, the only thing that didn't come out was one tenth of the internet from 1997 <laughs> and to be honest that's probably best kept there because um, you know we all know what the internet is good for and in those days you only had ascii representations and the teenage me does not want to remember how painful that was uh so <laughs> there we go chris um where are you, what are your adventures up for the next couple of weeks then? Uh, next up for us is uh, we're going to be going to um, South by Southwest. We're actually invited to speak on uh, technomadism. So we're hosting a core conversation at South by on, uh, on living technomatically, living on the road, um, working online and making a living while living on the road. Um, we're excited to be doing that at South by. Uh, we've also been uh, doing some uh, uh, iOS app development. We've got uh, two apps in the store now. Um, one was just recently as high as number two in the travel section. It's an app called uh, Coverage that lets you overlay the coverage maps from all the different carriers and find where your nearest 3G is. In the, in the States, it makes uh, uh, Verizon look particularly uh, good compared to AT&T. It's looking very, very bad. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what we've been up to. Cool. And where can people find out more information about all the projects and everything that you're getting up to? Uh, technomadia.com. Um, and uh, the apps are technomadia.com slash apps. So there we go. Uh, you find those links uh, back on the website, along with mentions of all the stuff that Chris tried to get out of Room 404. Back at room404.thepodcastcorner.com. Chris, thanks very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you all out there for listening as well. As we said, it's a new show. We're just trying to run with the format, so your comments are always welcome. You can email me all of that stuff as well. You and Spence at gmail.com. Uh, we will be back uh, with another guest coming in to try and bring back his or her favourite items in Blast out of room 404. But for now, I shall say goodbye. <laughs>